And I was in church literally every week, thanks to my parents. And so what I mean by that, vacation Bible school, we were there. Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were there. Prayer meeting, there. A couple women's prayer luncheons, my mom drugged me along. And there were times that as a young, rambunctious boy, you're like, oh, I don't want to go to church again. I want to do what I want to do. So I found some ways to do that. I would sneak down to the pond Sunday afternoon, stay down there, get coated in mud, show back up to the house, even though mom had hollered for me 15 times, and act like I hadn't heard her. So then we'd miss church that week. But Cindy Blackburn caught on real quick. So that happened about twice. And I say that jokingly, but them taking me to church every week and investing in me laid a foundation. That's why I'm still here today. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I'm a walking, talking testament of this today because I wasn't always going the way I should go. But my parents were diligent in praying for me and raising me. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my past, my history. When I was a kid, I was like, What led me to here that I wasn't even really thinking of at the time? And then I thought about Saturday mornings after I got done watching cartoons, hearing my mom pray in her bedroom, interceding for family members or church members and praying for them. I thought about her studying her Bible diligently to go to the jail that night and minister to the prisoners there. I thought about after me and dad had played catch for an hour already, him saying, it's time to go in, son. We need to open the Bible and have a family devotion tonight. I thought about all the children's church that I went to. I thought about Father Abraham, and I thought about the books of the Bible that we learned. And that whole time that I was being drugged to church every week, and even though I didn't want to go, that foundation was laid there. And thank God that they had a burden for me, that God had put that burden in my parents' heart. I'm going to get real with you for a second, Westside, and this isn't even my first point. I'm just diving right in. We always talk about missions and influence and what we can do and how we can reach people. What greater mission field do you guys have than your own home with your kids? What greater mission field do we have than right here? Westside has been blessed mercifully with kids, and if you don't believe me, Go back there and serve one week, and you'll be like, we have a bunch of kids, and it's great. I mean, any given Sunday back there, there are more kids just back there, not even the helpers. I'm just talking there are more kids back there than most churches in Butler County. What are we doing? Are we jumping in those kids' lives? Because I can tell you that when I was a kid, mom and dad would go after church to people's houses. We would eat dinner. I would hang out with those kids, and those kids were my friends. I still have lifelong friends from that church to this day. And those adults were investing in me, too. If I was out running around doing something I wasn't, they were going to check me. So it's important for us to invest in that. We have a whole next generation. The whole next West Side is right there right now. I'm talking 60 to 80 kids. So I just want to challenge you guys, do what you can. If you're a mom, crack open that Bible, turn the TV off and talk to those kids. If you're a grandma that sometimes keeps your grandkids, give them your testimony. Tell them, hey, this is what God's done for me. This is what me and grandpa did. Don't do that. 
Because this is how Jesus has been faithful to us this entire time. Those investments that my parents and the people made in the church are still paying off today as I stand up here and talk to you, as I bring my daughter to church every Sunday, as when I lay her down at night, reading those Bible stories to her and passing on that heritage, that generation of loving Jesus. As we went on, I got a little older and went to junior high. Um, Mom and dad still dragging me to church every week, doing what I needed to. And there were more people because of God's sovereignty that were put in my life. Um, I remember specifically a certain youth pastor. This guy, he was from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. He had a funny accent, but man, I, I love that guy. And he would come out once a week to our house, pick me up about 6, 6.30, because we live 20 minutes out of town, drive me back to Poplar Bluff to get food, eat breakfast, and all he wanted to do is check in on me. He wanted to see how my life was. He said, hey, Matt, what's going on in your life? You got a girlfriend? You doing anything stupid? Are you keeping your grades up? He just wanted to invest in me. He had no agenda. He just loved me. And a couple weeks ago, we were talking about JT's residency in a board meeting. And we were talking, and he said, what would you guys like to see? What do you think is important? What stuck out to you? And I told him that story. I said, listen, never underestimate the amount of time that you spend with someone with no agenda, just loving them, just caring for them, and just pouring into them. That's all it is. I said, do that, and you're going to be great at what you do. You'll be the best resident we've ever had. Not just because you're the first. <laughs> That's right. About this time, um, I also met the prettiest girl I'd ever seen on the school bus, and um, she let, messed up. She let me sit with her, and 22 years later, she's sitting on the front row today. Um, and I knew the family that she came from. They had a great Christian heritage. Her grandpa was a preacher. Her parents were strong Christians. Her whole family loved Jesus. So at the same time, you know, I feel like that was God's sovereignty because I meet this person, and I'm like, man, she has the same morals, same characteristics. They love Jesus. And so I was like, this is good. I knew I couldn't be a knucklehead because her family wasn't going to put up with that. They're going to say, I'm not, not dealing with you being a moron. Um, and then even later in life, or a little bit later in high school, I had a boss that I worked for, and he was investing in me the same way. He would check me, and he would, we would talk about church, and he would even question the stuff that I'm telling him. I'm like, well, I heard it from the pulpit, you know, or I heard it on TV. He's like, crack open your Bible and double check that, you know. Um, and he taught me to question things in a good way. And you're probably thinking, what are you talking about all these people for? I'm glad you asked, because that leads me to my first point. We are called on this journey together, not alone. We are to be in community. In verse 5, Paul writes, because of your partnership in the gospel. That word partnership implies that it's not just him alone. And the fact that he is writing this letter to the Philippians tells you that he is interacting with them. He's inviting them in on this journey with Christ, with him. He's checking in on them. And if you've been here any length of time, you know that there's three main staples that we talk about all the time at Westside. Gospel, community, and mission. It's even on the sign out there, community. And maybe you're asking, what exactly is biblical community? 
where do I even start with that? Well, glad you asked. We have some ways to get started on that if you're just looking. Westside men, Westside women, we're going to start back in the fall. Community groups. There's just practical ways to get plugged in, to meet people, to live this life together. But it goes much further than that. Much further. In Galatians 6, 1 through 2, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're asked to bear one another's burdens. And I don't know about you guys, but you can't bear many burdens here for an hour on Sunday mornings. It's calling for a lot more than that. So I'm just going to encourage you guys, reach out to people. Text them, call them, have coffee with them, have dinner with them. Get that ball rolling. Because these people in this room, when you're struggling, they're going to be the people that you want to call, that you want praying for you, that you want to reach out to and say, hey, I need you in this moment. Like Phil said last week, sin isn't just doing bad things but it's the lack of doing good things. And community is one of those good things that we have to do to fulfill the law of Christ. As I went on through high school, I was still a good kid, you know, uh, mostly because Amy was keeping me out of trouble. Um, But this is the point in my life where I kind of started to run. Not that I was turning completely away from God or anything, but I got a vehicle. I got my license so I could do of what I wanted to. I would stay late after baseball, or I mean after school, practice baseball. We would hit. I would go in early uh, before school and go duck hunting or turkey hunting with my friends uh, just because that's what I love to do. And at that point in my life, my focus was shifting. It wasn't on how good God was or how good God had been to me or what he had done in my life, but it was what can God do for me? So I would have some of these what I call bargain prayers. I don't know if you guys have ever had any bargain prayers, but I'd be like, Father God, if you will give me that truck with that lift kit that looks so nice, then I won't miss church for a year. God, if I could get that jet boat to go to Current River, I won't even go on Sundays ever. Does anyone else have bargain prayers like that? You're bartering? I see no hands up. Jason told me that would happen. That's okay. I'll be out here on the limb myself. That's fine. Um, But I wasn't turning my back on God. I was just slightly turning my focus away from him. I wasn't focused on him. But the beautiful thing about that, he was focused on me the entire time. It didn't matter that I was worried about a jet boat. It didn't matter that I was worried about duck hunting 10 days in a row and not going to church. Because he loved me. He was focused on me and he was chasing me that entire time. After high school, um, towards the end of high school, I had no choice but to go to college. I didn't know what I was going to do, but mom and dad told me, you are going to college. Um, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know what I was going to major in. I just knew that I had to go because they said I had to go. Um, Thankfully, I was blessed with a scholarship to SEMO. Um, I went there. Amy had a scholarship at TRC, so we had to kind of spend a year apart, but that kept me coming back every weekend so I could see her and see my family. So every week I would come back, 
I would go to church. I might go to church with her. I might go to church with my parents, but I was going to church still. It was just that half-hearted Christianity. You know what I mean? I would just show up. I would listen to the sermon. Go home. Think about it a little. Just go on. And that running just kind of started to veer a little more. Like I said, I wasn't turning my back on God. I wasn't cursing God. I wasn't rebelling. I wasn't being a renegade. It's not in me. Just focusing on other things. And it wasn't even that it was bad things, but it wasn't God things. It was good things, but not God things. I was into intramural sports. I was working quite a bit because I knew that if I was going to get to marry Amy, I had to have some money. I didn't, there's no way she was going to marry a bum, you know. And so I was working. I was playing sports. I was hanging out with friends. I was doing stuff that wasn't bad, but it wasn't focused on God. And at that time, there was definitely a lack of fruit in my life. I could tell you I probably had a lot worse attitude. Um, But thank God I had people still praying for me. Amy, praying for me all the time. My mom and dad, praying for me. Um, Which brings me to my second point. Continually pray for those around you. If you look back in the text, verse 2 Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving and prayer. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. This right here tells us that Paul is praying for those brothers and sisters in Philippi. He's reaching out to them. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another. Insert community right there. One another. We'll go back to point one. Community. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I can tell you that those prayers, they were working. I didn't know that they were working, but they were working. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, First of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. That's all people. That's saved. That's unsaved. So if you have unsaved loved ones, be praying for them. Be interceding for them. If you have friends and family that are saved, be praying for them because we need it. I can tell you that right now. And don't give up praying on friends and family. I don't know how many times that I've prayed And I know my parents probably felt this way when I was in college. They're like, my prayers are hitting the ceiling. This kid is a numbskull. He is not listening. He is not following this. But those prayers are being heard. And I'm I'm evidence of that. So don't give up on praying. A couple weeks ago, the men came up and prayed. And my wife sent me this text message. She had sent it to a friend. Um, I think she just did it to give me some words of affirmation. I'm going to read it to you. Your husband went to the front and prayed. Matt did too. I take for granted these moments. But 10 years ago, I would have given anything for this to happen. I didn't believe it could ever happen, but God heard my prayers, all those tears he heard, and now it happens so often that I don't even think twice about it. Guys, this is nothing I've done. This is Jesus through me. This is the effects of prayer, though. If you ask Amy after this service, 
if she would have thought 10 years ago I'd be up here talking to you, she'd be like, no way. Or if you asked my parents, they'd say, nope, probably not. Wives, don't give up praying on your husbands. Just amp that up a little bit. Pray more. We're, we're one step away from stupid all the time. Jason tells you that. Amen? So pray for us, and you're going to see results. Mamas, pray for those babies. Grandmas, keep praying for them. Love them. Love them through these seasons that they're in, and keep praying for them because it will work. Dads, be praying for your sons to grow up to be holy men, or pray that holy men will come and marry your daughter. After college, I graduated and um, graduated college on a Saturday and started plumbing on a Monday. That's not a joke. That's a true story. Too long a story to talk about. Um, a little bit after that, we got married, Amy and I. And I would say I was living what you would call the Butler County dream. You know what I mean? We had just gotten a new house, new to us, and we loved it. I had that jet boat and that truck that I had always been bargaining God for. I had it. And even though, I'm going to admit, even though I was praying that I wouldn't use it, or promising I wouldn't use it on a Sunday, there was more Sundays than not that I was missing church, and I was going and using that. Everything was great, though. It's like when Jason talks about, you're not coming to God when everything's great, you know? I had everything I wanted. I had a good job. We had this house. We had the dog. Everything was coming together. But during this whole time, I had a God-shaped hole in my heart and I didn't even know that that's what it was because it was one more thing. But I need one more thing. I got that boat, but if I get the bigger boat, then I'm going to be happy. Or if we get the bigger house, or if we... I bought into that lie. And the whole time I have this hole that only God can fill and I did not know what to do with it. The only problem with my Butler County dream is that Jesus had very little access in that dream. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about furthering his kingdom. It was just about me, what I wanted, what we could do. And during that time, there was cracks in my entire life that started showing up. I didn't know what it was from. I didn't know it was from that God-shaped hole. I didn't know what to do about it. And it started manifesting different ways. It started manifesting in me and Amy's marriage. Just started growing. A little crack here, a little crack here. Until one night, it all came to a head. Anyone married here know about that? You know what I mean? Have one of those arguments. And it wasn't just one of those arguments where you're like, you're dumb, I got to walk away, I can't. This was one of those arguments where we're like, okay, you do what you're going to do, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and we're going to do it separately. You can live there because that was your family's land. You can go over here, one of those. In that moment, I was like, man, how did I get here? What happened? And Amy came to me crying later that night. And she said, Matt, we have to make God a priority in our lives. And reluctantly, I said, okay, yeah, you're probably right. Thinking that she's not right, but I'll just wait this out a few weeks and prove to her that she's not right. But she was right. And so she said, there's this different church. Let's just go check it out. It's like, okay, tell me a little bit about it of all places that they were meeting was the Rogers Theater, where we've had Easter the last two years. And I was like, they're meeting in an old theater? I was like, this sounds like a hipster church to me. 
I am not into that. I was like, if we show up and there's more skinny jeans there than I can count, I am out. But reluctantly, I went and I told her, I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. I want to sit on the very back row because I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want anyone entering community with me. I got my friends. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want anyone to ask me to do anything. I don't want to get plugged into this church and have to do something. So she said, okay, just knowing that if we went through the door, that would be enough. So I think the first week, I liked it pretty good. I was like, this is good. The second week, there was a tall, skinny guy with tattoos that got up there and preached named Jason Jordan. I was like, I like this guy. Come back again. At the end of that second week, before we can bolt out the door, Jamie Morse runs up to Amy. And they were friends from youth group growing up. And she says, hey, we've got this awesome community group. And I'm listening the whole time like, this is great. No, we're not doing this. Want no part of this. It's like they come to our house. They meet. You know, we read the Bible. We study books. It's great. I was like, heck no. That sounds like a cult. I'm not going and I'm not drinking anyone's Kool-Aid. We will not do this. Later that fall, we go to that community group. And about nine years later, here we are at a church with Jason Jordan, Jamie Morse, and I'm helping lead up community group leaders. Somehow I'm on the board, and all of the stuff that I said I want no part of, I'm in the middle of. But that God-shaped hole, it isn't there anymore. It is as full as it's ever been. And that's because of God. It's because of His grace. That work that He started in me years ago when I was six, it just, it wasn't complete. It was just starting. And that leads me to my third point. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us. Paul says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. That work that Jesus started in me years ago, it isn't complete yet. I may not even be halfway there. But thank God I'm not where I was because he's drugged me along. Amy's prayers, my parents' prayers, and him have drugged me to the place that I am because I was reluctant. But God's grace was so good, so good. And I know, I would probably describe this as your typical church attender, Southeast Missouri testimony. It's not flashy. But I can tell you this, 30 years ago, when I turned my life over, heaven rejoiced the same way as if I would have been a lifelong drug addict that gave it up. They rejoiced the same that that little boy came and gave his life. And I know Jason always jokes that he was saved from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And Courtney was saved from Sunday school. And I was saved from Sunday school myself. But I'm going to tell you guys, that grace is the same grace. And it don't matter who you are. It don't matter how gritty your past was or how clean it was. We need that same grace to get where we're going. Christ Jesus. God's grace is sufficient. And I remember one night reading a book. And uh, during this book, just that whole view of, view of grace came to me. Does anyone read books and just have these enlightening moments? Well, for me, it was The Runaway Bunny. Yeah. Anyone ever read The Runaway Bunny? If you haven't, you need to. 
Um, Ellie had just been born, so this has been five and a half years ago, and we wanted to start a rhythm of books, reading books every night, whether it be uh, the Bible, biblical books, or just we wanted to read books to Ellie. So this was probably the third night that we had our home, second or third, um, and I'll never forget it. We uh, had her in there, you know, she couldn't, she was just probably half asleep. We was probably just reading the book for ourselves. But we're in there, and just the weight of the world was on me as a dad. Does anyone know about that? Like, you just brought this little human home, and you've got to keep them alive. You're very short on sleep, very high on emotions, and it's just not a good situation. You're like on a roller coaster. And I'm not an anxious person, but at that time in my life, I'm holding this three-year-old baby, and I'm thinking, what, what is her future going to look like? What is it going to be like? And Amy cracks this book open and starts reading. <clears throat> Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on a mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber, and I will climb to where you are. If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will become a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener, and I will find you. If you become a gardener and find me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. Shucks, said the little bunny, I might as well stay here and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said Mother Bunny. And at that moment, it was so simple. I don't remember if it was me or Amy holding Ellie, but I look at her with tear-filled eyes. I said, Amy, that's the gospel. That's my life. I ran so hard from God, but he was there. He was chasing me the entire time. And I can tell you right now, this is my big idea, that no matter how far you run, God will be there. He will be there. You know, last week Phil said, we don't turn away from, we don't turn, we don't look at our sin and back towards God. We turn away from that, we face God and we run after him. And if you do that, I can guarantee you God's going to meet you face to face because he's right there with you the entire time. As I wrap this up, I've got a couple application questions just to ask yourself. What are you running after? Are you running after the things of God? Are you running after the things of the world? And this is something I have to ask myself almost daily. What am I running after? Am I wanting that next new job that's going to help me get a little more money in the bank account where I can take another vacation or I can relax a little bit because there's enough money in there that I'm not quite stressed out now? Or maybe I can get that new truck or that new boat. What am I running after? Because, guys, I'm going to tell you, there's a life past this. 
And a lot of times we don't think about it. I have to check myself daily. But there's an eternal life that's a lot more than what we have here. Who are you praying for on a daily basis? Maybe you have friends, family. Maybe you don't pray daily for people. Maybe you should. Maybe you have a lost loved one, a child, a husband, a wife that you pray for constantly. And maybe you haven't saw any fruit from that. In just a little bit, when we take communion, these altars are always open. Feel free to stop in here. Feel free to lay your burdens down. Let someone pray with you, to bear those burdens with you, to live that community with you. The third, who are you in community with? Who are you challenging? Who are you holding accountable? Who are you encouraging? Are you just going through this life kind of like a feather, just drifting? Or are you interacting with people? Are you challenging? Are you coming alongside people and living this Christian community that we are all with? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you so much for that grace, Lord. We just thank you that we're that baby bunny and no matter where we run, no matter how far we go, you are there waiting on us to catch us, to hold us whenever we're done running. Father, I just pray right now for people who lack community. Lord, send people in their lives to encourage that community, to interact with them, to gather them up, to love them, to live life with them, to encourage them, to challenge them, Lord. Lord, and I just pray for the people out here in the pews that have spent countless hours in tears just beckoning, Lord, for the save, salvation of a loved one. Father, I just pray for the people who constantly have to battle chasing the world, Lord. That's me. Lord, I just pray that you'll change our hearts and renew our minds. Help us to focus on you. Help us to know that there is an eternity and we need to have that eternal mindset, Father God. We thank you for your blessings and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.